Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for December 3rd, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shivlett. Good evening, sir. All right, good to have you all on the show tonight. It's been about 20 minutes. We're going to have Doug Kaplan of Kaplan Strategies. Doug's been a guest on our show before, but this is, I believe, the first time Doug will be a guest being the head of his own firm. Um, So we're looking forward to talking about polling with Doug. Um, But until then, we've got a myriad of things to talk about. I guess we can start off later in the week. There were two more political passings. Um, The first female Supreme Court in American history, Sandra Day O'Connor, passed away as well as National Security Advisor for, I guess, two or three presidential administrations. Harry, Henry Kissinger passed away. Um, Catherine, any thoughts on either one of their lives? Well, you know, I, I think it um, kind of marks a moment, an end of an era, when the first uh, woman Supreme Court justice passes. You know, I mean, it, it's kind of surprising that, that all happened in our lifetime, right? Um, but I think um, it's just good to recognize the short time in which we've had women representing us on the Supreme Court. So I, I admire, I admired her. Though I didn't always agree with her rulings, I did admire her uh, service and uh, um, commentary from time to time. I won't say anything about Henry Kissinger. Thank you. Yes, and Tim, uh, same question about both of these figures. Well, I think uh, Catherine pretty well said it all for Sandra Day O'Connor. She was a historical trendsetter as the first woman on the Supreme Court. Ronald Reagan had famously promised he was going to put a woman on the Supreme Court, and he certainly did. And, And I think he... He he chose about the right person, and mm-hmm. uh, she uh, she had a distinguished career. I like Catherine. She made some uh, decisions that I wouldn't have agreed with, but all in all, I'd have to say that she was an honorable figure, and uh, she served her country well. As for Henry Kissinger, you know, there he has his detractors. He has his admirers. I mean, there's a guy that spent his whole life basically at Harvard until uh, about 1970, 71, and he's plucked out of there by Richard Nixon, who who uh, he got along well with very, very well. I mean, they they called him Mister In Inside, Mister Outside. Of course, Nixon was Mister Inside. Kissinger was the more bubbly guy that would go on TV and present uh, a pretty face for the administration and 
one that seemed to articulate things well and and thank goodness it was it wasn't Nixon out there doing that but um they um developed detente you know with Russia and they opened China up he won the Nobel prize for uh uh helping to negotiate the Paris uh treaty then the war in Vietnam of course came out later that he was probably involved in uh, keeping the war, helping to keep the war going through secret negotiations uh, with North Korea, or North North Vietnam, rather, to to not give the Democrats uh, an issue in the 1968 presidential election. Uh, He was all about secrecy a lot. He he stayed on uh, first as national security advisor and then as secretary of state through Gerald Ford and and uh, left government service in 1977. And uh, I've got his book up here, White House Years, and uh, it's uh, he describes himself as a statesman. By the way, if y'all are interested in the book, he. Uh, he never was a shy fella, but that's that's the life <laughs> of Henry Kissinger, and uh, you know he'll be in all the history books and stuff. And there we are. Yes, I mean, I mean, I, I have a feeling that Sandra Day O'Connor will stay in the history books more prominently, just given her groundbreaking, well, yeah. uh, you know, achievement. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, but she, I don't know that she was ever in a Marvel comic, uh, unlike I found out that Henry Kissinger. <laughs> <laughs> Although it wasn't a very um, uh, probably positive uh, portrayal in that comic, um, yeah. well, let's keep on moving to other things. And um, apparently, we have had five previously five congressional um, representatives uh, booted out of Congress by their <laughs> colleagues. Found out today the story on all that. Three were basically committed treason um, against the country. Uh, during the Civil War, and the other two were convicted felons. Um, George Santos is probably on his way to joining them as a convicted felon, but he was also booted out. Um, I, I don't want to say it all before I get a chance to say some things, but uh, Catherine, what were your thoughts on uh, the House's actions this past week with George Santos? Well, I mean, who's surprised by it, right? I mean, I, I don't think... <laughs> Anybody was surprised to see him uh, expelled. Um, you know, I'm represented by uh, Congresswoman Nakima Williams, who voted against the expulsion, and she got a lot of grief about it. Well, not a lot, but some grief about it online, social media. But I have to respect her um, comments about it. She said he doesn't deserve to serve in Congress. He's probably going to be a convicted felon. You know, all this, but that he has not been convicted yet, and she's always sides with the voters, and the voters elected him. So I understand that argument. And I I, I admire her courage in in voting that way. So uh, I'm not sure I would have been been able to make that decision, but I hope that I would have because I think it was the right decision. But we'll see what happens yes. when he goes to court. Yeah, before I go to Tim, coincidentally, I just uh, was in a room with Congresswoman Williams and heard her talk about that very um, vote. And I understand her reasoning, but I will say that one thing that makes it a bit different is 
I actually saw where he took his house colleague's um, credit card numbers and the parent of one of his house colleagues' credit card numbers and defrauded them for donations that they never approved to. And in a workplace, you got to think about it. If somebody in a workplace is stealing from somebody else, even before the rule of law can, you know, the justice system can take effect, you've got to get that person removed from the workplace. And so I do think that kind of, you know, complicated matters as far as the was convicted, was not convicted piece of this. Um, Tim, what's your, what are your thoughts on uh, George Santos uh, getting booted from the House? Yeah, and one of those congressmen who was defrauded got up and spoke very passionately. It was a Republican. Um, uh, spoke very passionately for his removal because he he had had money taken. He said, you know, I'm a victim. Uh, you know, there had been two previous attempts to do this, and the Republicans uh, turned it away each time. Uh but what happened this time was the report by the Ethics Committee came out, and it was very damning, so damning, as a matter of fact, that one of the members of the Ethics Committee uh, actually came forward to uh, propose this resolution for for removal. Uh, and And after that, the snowballs you know, started rolling down here. There, there was really no drama in this vote. Uh, it was 311 to 114 with two abstentions. Uh, two Democrats voted no. We know one of them is Nikema Williams, and the other one's Bobby Scott from Virginia. Al Green from Texas and Jonathan Jackson from Illinois, they voted present. And they all said the same thing, basically, that the voters should take uh, care of this and, uh, we shouldn't jump the gun and la di da di da. Um, he's you've done mention he's the sixth member to be expelled, the first one not already convicted of something. But there were 105 Republicans voted to expel, 112 against. And David, something that you mentioned the other day that is very interesting. All of the House Republican leadership voted against expulsion and basically half their members ignored them that does not speak highly of the speaker who did not look happy to be um at the podium when this vote was being conducted uh but Santos is out now and uh there's a lot of Republican Congress critters from New York who are breathing a sigh of relief because they led the charge to get rid of him because they were afraid that he would hurt them in their districts, and they wanted this issue off the table. Question now is, Sandow says he knows a lot of stuff on a lot of people. What's he going to do with it? So we'll see. Yeah, speaking of this, I, I had this shared with you this past week. He said that his husband likes to fly fish in North Georgia. So oh, uh, he alluded that he may move to uh, North Georgia, which I got the idea was going to be Northeast Georgia District, not the Northwest Georgia yeah, District. Yeah, please, please not up here. Please not up here. 
please, yeah. please not up here. Uh, I, I might shoot <laughs> myself. Or so, uh, please not up here. We already got Marjorie well, Taylor Greene, who, by the way, also voted against his expulsion. Oh, my God, definitely. She loves drama. Um, and now there's going to be a special election called, and there was already right. a candidate preparing to run for that seat, you know, theoretically against him. So there's somebody with an infrastructure put in place that looks like a, I want to say his name's Tom Danuzzi. Um Looks like a pretty strong candidate. Um, Catherine, given Democrats' record um, uh, special elections, um, that's a pretty good pickup opportunity, isn't it? Yes, it is. Excellent. Yeah, because it was already a district that was not super, you know, partisan one way or the other before. Well, uh, let's turn to our next issue, which I'm not going to spoil it because we're going to have a lead-in with one of Tim's outrages of the week. So, Tim, I'm going to let you go ahead with the outrage of the week, and then we will discuss it from there. All right. Uh, I guess I should start it with an admission, guys. Uh, It won't be any surprise to you or anyone that knows me or listens to this show, but watching Fox News for any amount of time can be quite a chore for a guy like myself. I've always been convinced, and with very good reason, that they slant the news in order to appeal to a certain audience. And as recent legal cases have proved, they are also willing to defame others using outright lies from their hosts. There's no denying that the offended business uh, in question, uh, both sued and collected a large amount of money. So I swallowed hard this week and tuned in to the heavily promoted great red state, blue state debate uh, between Ron DeSantis and Gavin Newsom. And I'm going to admit right off the bat that it was a rating success with almost 5 million viewers. It was quite the coup for the network, along with host and moderator, if you want to call him that, Sean Hannity. Now, what I witnessed predictably was an outright mess. I saw a moderator, Hannity, clearly taking sides, no surprise, peppering Newsom with questions designed to make him and the state of California look bad while feeding softball questions to uh, Governor DeSantis. Now, it really didn't seem to help DeSantis that much as Newsom was hammering him, ridiculing him, and totally outfoxing him at every turn. Really what I saw is a debate that was supposed to be a debate between Newsom and DeSantis turned first into a Newsom versus DeSantis versus Hannity affair and and ending up as a match between Newsom and Hannity with DeSantis on the sidelines kind of contributing little of substance and smirking that famous lovely smirk of his Uh, there are a lot of people out there who think this debate was important many pundits breathlessly heralded it as the debate that american voters should have gotten as opposed to the real debate next year between president biden and donald trump me i think that is absolutely absurd 
this was nothing more to me than an interesting sideshow, a creation of a so-called news network in search of ratings. And the moderator had his own agenda to use half-truths, cherry-picked data, and outright falsehoods to attempt to make a Democrat look bad and a failing Republican candidate who really needed the help to look good. So... John Hannity had something to gain. Uh, Ron DeSantis had something to gain. And Fox News had something to gain. I'm not going to judge Gavin Newsom for even participating in this farce. I guess he uh, did what he thought he needed to do. But I would strongly caution and remind elected officials who agree to appear on Fox News that they should see things for what they are because the outrage that any of you who watched it saw the other night is what you're going to get in any debate or back and forth that they choose to engage in on that network with any of our elected officials. And you know what? They don't even try to hide it, David. No, I think you're absolutely right about it. It ended up being kind of a Newsom versus Sean Hannity debate first and foremost, which was by no means a net positive for Ron DeSantis, who was trying to raise his profile, who has the most current electoral skin in the game. Now, Catherine, I know you're probably a regular watcher of Sean Hannity. You probably described as an exclusive extra content. So give us your thoughts on that Fox Endeavor. Well, I uh, I watched the excerpts of it. I couldn't I, I couldn't watch an, an a, hour a, on hand. A wise just, decision. <laughs> um, as usual, you know, Gavin Newsom was poised and uh, articulate, and you know, he's very good looking, and he carries that. Um, role very well. He, you know, he was uh, on point. I, I didn't, the excerpts I saw, he didn't really get nervous or, you know, uh, stutter or anything. He was very um, composed. Uh, DeSantis mm-hmm. is, is just an idiot and Hannity <laughs> too. And, and I think, um, I think this hurt DeSantis because of the uh, insertion of Sean Hannity into the debate, it made DeSantis look uh, weak and uh, not very well informed. And I thought it made, I mean, it doesn't really matter what how Newsom came off because the people who are watching it don't care about Gavin Newsom except to find more ways to criticize him for some reason. So, uh, I think the net is that uh, journalism took a hit because it's not journalism, but people think it is. And Gavin Newsom probably raised his uh, whatever Q score, whatever they call it these days, a bit just because, and and because he was willing to do it, and he didn't, you know, fall on the floor. He didn't like. Used bad language. He didn't lose his temper, um, and I think 
I don't know. I guess I sort of feel like it was it was good for Gavin Newsom to do that. Um, I, I'm always um, I I go back and forth whether we should engage them or not. But occasionally, I think it's good for us to get up in their faces and show them that sometimes that that we do have good ideas and we are uh, capable. Not very often, yeah. but uh, from time to that. Yeah, I think that is the trick. It's like there's so many people that just default to that news source. I'm not even sure they're you know, total right-wingers. It's just what plays in whatever cafe. I mean, there's a good chunk of rural America that just thinks that's, you know, the modern-day Walter Cronkite and, and is, you know, misguided as that may be. You have to work within that parameter, and I think Gavin Newsom really did a good job. It was like he walked into the lion's den and fought the lion's and he fought the lion tamer. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and I'm well, uh, being generous calling DeSantis a lion by any means because DeSantis, I don't know if I saw, showed you that clip of him smirking when, when uh, uh, trying to smile when Newsom was talking, but he, he is just – my goodness, his facials are terrible. Um, I've never seen anything like it. Tim, what you got? Well, I, I was going to ask you, what, politically, what do you think Newsom's angle was here? Well, I had heard this a while back. When Gavin Newsom, remember, he had the recall election put him up against him. As misguided as it was, you know, it only got like 38%. It got just the base Republican vote. He realized that there was this whole, you know, news or, or this whole t- set of talking points out there that he and most Democrats weren't familiar with. And so he started watching more Fox News, um, trying to go on Fox News more, knowing that in his state there may be 38, 40 percent of Californians that are more to that um, angle. If that's the case in California, extrapolate it out to the country, and it's closer to 50%. Um, And so I think that's where his impetus was to try to get in there. Obviously, you know, this raises his profile. I'll say this, too. Now, when we compare this, our debates have just really suffered since 2016 because Donald Trump just ruins any debate, whether it's a GOP (laughs) primary debate or it's a, uh, a federal debate where he's debating another Democrat. I mean, his, have we ever had a civilized debate that included Donald Trump and is misguided <laughs> and is off the target with a very biased moderator in Sean Hannity? That debate Wednesday night was far closer to what we had pre-16 than post-2016, in my opinion. What do you think, Catherine? I think that's a pretty good point, and and um, you know I have I have to hand it to, I really do have to hand it to uh, Newsom for being willing to do it. I wonder. I was thinking about it after I watched the clips. I wonder if there was any um, suggestion or um, not pressure, but suggestion from leading from Democratic leaders and not necessarily elected officials, but donors and advisors, that someone do this and that Gavin Newsom was a good selection. I don't know if that's 
there's any anything mm. to do that. But I wonder if that was done. It it would appear that uh, the scuttlebutt is that Newsom and Hannity know each other pretty well, get along pretty well, and oh, mutually came up with this idea. Um, oh, that doesn't make me happy. Yeah, it it. But you, you know, I, I, I he was. Newsom was not recruited, I don't think, by Democrats to do it or pressured in any way to do it. He wanted to do it. (laughs) And DeSantis stood there looking like he wished he wasn't doing it, to be honest with you, because when it came to facts and figures, he was just getting hammered, and, and he was the recipient of some really good zingers, like, you know, when Newsom said, there are two of us standing here, and one thing we have in common is that neither one of us is going to be the the nominee of our party for president. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) And it was stuff like that the whole debate. It really was. He he even jeered at him one time and and said, look, Nikki Haley has laid you out. Why don't you just get out of the way? Oh, that made the Sanders mad. Oh, that made him mad. Well, well, Tim, back to your earlier point, they may not be as good of friends or cordial in the future um, (laughs) after some of those comments. I don't know. I think think Hannity uh, enjoyed it, too, even though he was. Oh, you mean Hannity. I'm sorry. Yeah, Hannity really was was, was uh, no. DeSantis didn't enjoy it at all. I think no, Hannity kind of did. Yeah, no, it, and obviously Hannity at the end of the day in the court Fox News, they just want ratings. And in that ratings yeah, but, bump you talked about, Tim, how many of that was? Some of that was Democrats and Fox News. They say, huh? If oh, we're yeah. not completely in the tank for Republicans, we might could expand our audience. Um, yeah, I certainly and, turned over there, and you did. So Catherine watched the yeah. highlights of it. And, yeah. You know, we normally don't do any of that. Yeah, and so I just have to wonder what this will be like. I'm like, hey, maybe there is something there. And I also wonder, you know, Gavin knew some early in the thing, and I have not gotten to watch the. I actually watched a ton of highlights, and I recorded it and watched. Um, I think I'm about the halfway point. But early in the debate, um, Gavin knew some talked about how in the past two years more Floridians have moved to California than the other way around. That's a stat I hadn't heard either. Um, and and I wonder it turned how out to be that, true. Yes, it, it did turn out to be true. Truth. Yeah, and, and so um, I wonder how many people on Fox are like, the regular viewers are like, wow, I never heard that. And they looked it up and go, huh, it actually is you know, pretty close, but it's true. Um, and, you know, of course, because that's the thing. So many times we have these answers we think, oh, well, it'll just fit on the bumper sticker, the solution, when things are far more complicated. Um, housing yeah. costs go up because a lot of people move somewhere. That's why Florida is now having housing costs much closer to California. And also they have the um, insurance issues, California. Oh, have, yeah. I heard that some places 500 and 63% increase on home insurance. That's getting close to $1,000 on a decent-sized home a month. 
Yeah. And so, but, but you know, on the other on, on the other hand, Florida is has got the 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 third uh, highest number of poor people in the country. Now, you know what? Uh, Hannity didn't mention that. He didn't ask of uh, he didn't ask DeSantis about it. All the critical questions were were directed at Newsom and about California, comparing. You know, like California is the worst place on earth. Florida is a virtual paradise. He would ask Kennedy one of these leading cherry-picked data questions about California and then turn to DeSantis and say, what do you think about that? Yeah, that's tough. And and DeSantis still didn't do well with it. Oh, yeah. It was basically like let's compare the villages to Skid Row uh, when you could yeah, that's what compare – Santa Monica or Malibu to some little, you know, very poor town in central, north of central Florida. You know, I mean, Florida, you can always I mean, do that California kind of has a bigger economy than all but four countries on the face right. of the earth. To compare yeah. those two places or any place in this country to California economically is absolutely ludicrous. But they did. Yeah, I, I thought it was just really interesting there, and it really was an interesting debate. When they talked about taxes, and they were, you know, and I, and I will say this, this one of the few things I actually thought Sean Hannity was truthful about, he said this is a difference about philosophies. And, the, and, when the, and he actually kind of said, you know, like it, it was a little more helpful to what Newsom was making his point than a lot of other things he did. And, of course, the graphics department did a hit job on Newsom, but yet Newsom still debated back from it because every graphic that they put the question was just the worst framing for whatever Democrats did believe you in. See, but, you know, maybe the case you, about taxes, it's just a different yeah. way to tax. It's not higher. It's did you different. see DeSantis pull the paper, scrap of paper out of his uh, pocket and hold it up, and the brown smudges were were supposed to be poop from one of the major California cities uh, representing poop on the street. And, and even Newsom got a, a kick out of that. He just kind of grinned at the, you know, oh, come yeah. on. And, and apparently, uh, according to uh, Tegan Goddard, that was against the rules. And uh, the first lady of California took quite umbrage to that, although the first yeah. lady of Florida was not happy with the debate either. Apparently, the first no. ladies were having far less fun than the governor of uh, California, certainly, and probably even the governor <laughs> of Florida. Um, well, let, let's get into some of the political questions um, about this. So Ron DeSantis is actually running for president and participates in debates with Vivek Rathaswamy, with Nikki Haley, with Tim Scott up until recently. Um, I, they're, they're, they're dropping out so fast I can't even keep up. I think Mike Pence has dropped out. We're, we're down to just a few candidates, but he's having to debate them. He's had practice. Um, what if a Fox Republican viewer watched this and they're going to pick up a ballot in January, March, April, February and vote in the Republican primaries? What do you think did, this did to Ron DeSantis' choices there, Catherine? I don't think it helped him. I think he looked like an idiot. You know, he he he, he was he wasn't I shouldn't say that, but he wasn't prepared. He wasn't uh, articulate. He didn't have he didn't have 
the necessary data and and numbers to adequately present what he was trying to argue. And Newsom had all that and more. And so he it just he he looked uh he looked weak and he did not look at all presidential. Not at all. Not that Trump does either, but whatever. <laughs> Tim, same question. Um what do you think the takeaway or what do you think people are gonna think about Ron DeSantis after this debate, given that he's had a lot more chances on a national stage recently than Gavin Newsom? The people have seen him and seen him and seen him and seen him, and they've already made their decision on him, and I'm pretty sure their decisions are hardened. Donald Trump is so far ahead. Uh, DeSantis is in danger of dropping into fourth place. Uh, Nikki Haley is surging right past him, and Ramaswamy has even caught him. And, uh, you know, I guess it's an act of desperation on his part to go on Fox News with this and try to rescue his campaign. I I tell you, David, he either wins Iowa or he's gone. Right then. He has to win Iowa. He has sunk all kind of money, recruited all kind of volunteers, practically lived up there. And he's still over 30 points behind in the polls. He has to win Iowa or he's done because Trump's going to win New Hampshire the next week. That, and when it turns south, Trump is really going to turn it up. It, that's, that's, that's what he's down to, David. He just better move to Des Moines or, or one of those towns and live there. Uh, and, and this Fox News debate ain't going to help at all. That's it. Yeah, I think it hurt him too. Um, it, it was he was already on life support this campaign. Yeah, and it got him attention, but it got him such bad attention in the end. I mean, even yeah. with you know Sean Hannity and the graphics department at Fox doing all their work on his behalf, he still couldn't close the deal. Didn't even seem close. I mean, the highlights I will say when you actually watch the debate, it seems closer in real time than the highlights because. I mean, granted, the cut-ups I'm seeing are from more Democratic sources, but um, it's still, you know, anybody that's being objective is going to, you know, say that Newsom did the better job. And he theoretically had so much less to lose. Now, let's talk about Gavin Newsom. Um, It is, I think, most political observers' belief that Joe Biden's going to be the uh, 24 nominee, and therefore – Gavin Newsom, his term limit is he will leave office in 2026. So the time doesn't really fit really well, although I guess he could, you know, not have been encumbered with the governor's office for two years. Um, But then also I guess there is this chance, everybody thinks, that um, the thing could open up at the last minute. Catherine, what did Gavin Newsom gain out of this debate? Uh. Well, I don't think he's going to be on the ticket in 2024. It would have to be something really dramatic for him to be on that ticket. But I think that that timing is perfect for 2028. He's finished as governor. He spends two years running for president. I think that's perfect timing. It it allows him to be 
running for president and not being governor at the same time, which I think is a good thing. Um, so this is, I think, like a an opportunity for him to just get some face time, up his Q score, let everyone get to know him, and so that he's brave and willing to uh, debate the opposite the opposite side and hold up well in that debate. Yes. Well, let's uh, put a pin in that real quickly. Um, our guest, uh, Doug Kaplan, is on the line. Doug, I want to welcome you back into the Kudzu Vine. Hey, how you been? Thank you for having me. Yes, glad to have you on the show tonight. Um, well, Doug, we know that you've done polling for quite a long time. You're still doing polling uh, with your new firm, Kaplan Strategies. But I don't actually want to ask about any of the exact numbers. I'm going to let Tim and Catherine get into some of that. I'm just going to ask about polling in general. Polling has had right. some rough patches and less rough patches, and it seems to be a lot of more MAGA-type voters that have just entered the Republican electorate really not trusting polling, and then therefore pollsters had to overcorrect for that. Um, what are you seeing when you get ready to conduct a poll? What do you do to try to turn the dials to get a more accurate sample? Well, some of the methods of tr- change to the polling, um, texting has become a big part of, to- of polling, where you'll text to a person and then it'll go to a web page. Um, and it's only been, been around really for uh, one or two, two um, elections. Um, and it's, it's a big part of polling because it's, it's cheaper than the other methods. Um, so it's, it's not 100% where they know the results on it. You would think you would get similar results to a live phone call. Um, but but I mean, you're using voter lists. You know, you just have to it, – it's, it's just tougher and tougher. So do you think the text option you're mentioning, is that making the polls more accurate, or is it just another method and it's just something you have to do because of technology? I would say it makes it more accurate, uh, depending on the mode that you're using. I think, it's better than, I think it could be better than Internet or automated phone calls because you're reaching cell phone users. You're reaching everybody randomly. Yes. Well, I'm going to go ahead and pass it to Tim, who has some more questions about some of your recent polls, and then he'll pass it to Catherine. Tim? Oh, good evening, Mr. Kaplan. Thank you for being with us again. I kind of want to stick with the national stuff because you've done some uh, um, national polling uh, in recent months, especially on the Republican race. And a guy that has really intrigued me is Vivek Ramaswamy. Why do you think he has performed as well as he has, including in, in your polls? And, and, and what type of voter do you think supports him? You know, his day definitely came. He, he was at about 10 to 14 percent in July. He's lost a significant um, portion of that um, because of media scrutiny. Uh-huh. But I think... Uh, you know the Trump voter who doesn't want to vote for him, but uh, but but who's definitely considers him, considers himself MAGA. Uh huh. Um, now you're in Florida. 
And as well as Governor DeSantis has done electorally in Florida, and he, he's done as well as any statewide politician down there in my memory, um, why did that not translate into national success? Well, you know, he performed just as good as uh, the Attorney General Ashley Moody and the CEO uh-huh. Jim, Jimmy Petronas. Um, this is the statewide office, and uh, uh-huh. none of them are none of them are running for president. Yeah, um, <laughs> his first election was against Andrew Gilliam, a gentleman under federal investigation for fraud, which was well known public, a terrible candidate, um, and he only won that election by a half a point. Um, some say he's got some stuff done in Florida. I'll leave that, you know, but others. But he's had super majorities, so it's a lot easier to govern uh, when you have a rubber stamp versus dealing with the Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. And uh-huh. part of your last question is, I think, you know, early states are retail politics, and the more the people see him, um, you know, they like. They, it seems like they like. Obviously, they like Trump. He's winning by a significant amount. But then they like Nikki Haley better. It seems, you know, on all uh-huh. the polling. So right now, she's number two, with less uh-huh. money and organization and no no big backers. So uh, right before you came on the air, we were we were talking about um, him, and uh, I made the statement that I believe that either he has to win in Iowa. Or he's done right then. Would you agree with that? Well, New Hampshire is not DeSantis' country. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, so he has he has to he has to he has to either win or come awfully close to Trump. Uh, he's putting a lot of time. He's got the attorney. He's got the governor, uh, Kim Reynolds. He's got the Bob Bob Vanderplatz, who's very uh, influential there, with the um, evangelicals. And he, it hasn't helped him a bit. He's, he's third now to Nikki Haley in some polls, um, and um, so he's so, so he's, in, he's he's in deep trouble. Um, uh, even if he finishes second, it, it looks like it'll be a very you know, like twenty or thirty points to Trump. Then he goes to Hampshire, and he's just going to have a horrible time there. He's going to finish no better than third in South Carolina. So where is his path? How does he come back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You got it there. Um, one more question about uh, national politics, and then I'm going to uh, send it over to Catherine for some more questions. Um, and I want to ask you about Florida. Um, I believe that Florida is probably off the national map for national Democrats in 2024. Am I right about that? Uh, something, you know, something, something significantly happened in Florida, um, and it'll be interesting when all the studies come out. Uh, we, we, we've mm-hmm. seen Democrats used to lead in registration. Now the Republicans have a pretty good lead um, in the amount of Republicans versus Democrats. Yet there are a lot of independents that are movable. And again, Andrew Gilliam only won the election by a half a point in 2018. And Rick Scott only won about 1% in 2018. So it's not completely off the table. It's similar to North Carolina. The problem is there's no state level, there's no candidates that are in, like, um, you know, state house or state senate that are coming up that they can count on. They pretty much lost the machine they had 
They lost Stephanie Murphy. They lost Val Demings last time. Um, so, so that that it's just the weak, the whole organization is pretty weak um, in in Florida. But I, I can't imagine that it's off the table forever. I think another one other thing that, that that's happened is there are all these people that have moved here, but um, you know, for every person that's from Puerto Rico that's moved here, you, you've got a guy from the Midwest that was conservative that's moved here, just as Sarasota. And, and in the last election, the Hispanic vote was significantly for the Republicans, significantly. So I don't know if it's an anomaly or, or, or what, but, but some, some, something, something definitely changed. But, but, uh, but, uh, but I'm not convinced it's a red state. Uh, it's the purple state that leans red. Uh, they just won the governor's race, the Democrats, in Jacksonville. It's an important thing to point out, which is a you know, more conservative place to begin with, and the Democrats mm-hmm. were able to claim that seat. Hmm. Well, that does give us some hope, and I thank you for all of that, sir. And uh, I'm going to send it over to Catherine now. Catherine? Hey, thank you for being on tonight, Mr. Kaplan. We appreciate oh, it. Thank you. I want, I want to ask you, you may, I'm, I may be asking you a question that is uh, outside of your um, area, but uh, let's just try it. Imagine it's 2028 and about the same time. Where are we? How will polls change? Do you think we'll have, any, like, all the AI and all that stuff will have any impact on it? Are we going to see any um, dramatic changes in how we – are we going to see much more texting, more, uh, like, maybe secure Internet polls? Or, I mean, how do we think um, we might – what changes might we see that might improve the overall performance of polls? Because I think we've all been uh, – we all still smart from some of the polls – from over the past couple of cycles. Well, you know the, the polls. If you if you if you look at a single poll, there could be some disappointment. But if you just look at the averages of real clear politics, they weren't that they weren't they had they weren't off in twenty twenty two. In twenty twenty, they were they were spot on. In twenty sixteen, um, again, they, 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 they were pretty accurate. Uh, the, the problem was. No one, no one predicted that he would win the electoral college and lose the popular vote, which someone should have come up with. Since Bush, Bush pulled that off in 2000. Um, right. I don't know. AI is going to change things in ways that we don't know yet. Okay. And are you? Uh, so the way I always think of polls is it's. Like the poll that I read today is from that moment, whatever right. that moment was, whether it was three days ago and they talked to, you know, 1,500 voters. It was that moment, and it probably has a, it's probably pretty accurate, but it was really only for that moment. Do you think that's accurate? Yeah, it doesn't predict the future, it just predicts the moment. And about 5 yeah. to 10%, 5%, 5% to 10% of polls are just completely off. It's just it happens statistically. Um, there's confidence levels and margin of errors. So you know, well, maybe the yeah. more um, maybe what we need to do is give the less uh, to take the polls as what they really are, and instead of looking them, at them as predictors. And I, I'm sure that 
pollsters like you do that. But I think sometimes the media and other people, I have a brother who lives in Brazil, and he's constantly, I talk to him every week, and every week he's got, oh, did you see the, that poll on Biden? I'm like, well, that was one poll, you know, like, sure. or it was maybe it was three polls. But, I mean, he's just an ordinary American expatriate living in Brazil. He's not a politician or, a you know, anything. I mean, he's exceptional to me. But um, So I just wonder if maybe we need to, instead of anticipating how polls might change, try to try to persuade people. Because sometimes I think that these polls help, like, people make decisions about uh, around them. They're like, oh, well, he's polling really low. I better not vote. For, I don't want to vote for a loser, even if it's the candidate that you think is most uh, appropriate. This is especially in the primaries. But so maybe we need to work on uh, how polls are received as much as how they're uh, taken. Yeah, I, 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 I would agree. It depends how you know. Depends how the media reports it. They find a poll that might agree with their narrative, so they go with it, and then, and then they forget about the other polls that are out there. The important thing is, is no poll is going, no poll is going to be exact and predict, you know, exactly what the numbers are. It's going to be a, a two to three points always off as a margin of error in right. every single poll. So there's always going to be off two, two to three points. And the last few elections. The swing state, the six states, or five or six states, they've been decided by you know, tens of thousands or less. It's impossible to predict that or pull that. How do you know? I mean, it, the races are swinging. There's so many variables of why the race is swinging, and it's still such few votes that it could go either way. Um, and it, 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 it's within the margin of error. So it's impossible to accurately poll, predict the polling if the race is decided by 10,000 because it's it's within the margin of error well, think, either way. I think there's a lot of people who actually know the exact number in Georgia because Donald Trump tried to demand those 11,000, what are 830 votes or whatever it was. So okay. <laughs> that's not very many votes in a state as big as Georgia in a national election. So I just no, think we have a lot, to, a lot to learn about it. And pardon? No, I was just going to say, it's, it's, listen, it's, it's, it's it's probably, you know, 50-50 country or maybe Democrats are about a two-point advantage. Yeah, that's what I've always thought. That's what I've always felt, like a, a bit of an advantage for Democrats, but not if you look at the uh, maps, though. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much for your insight and for all the work that you do. We really appreciate having you on the show. Thanks so much. I'm going to send it back to David. Yes. Uh, Doug, before you leave us and our listeners, tell our listeners whether they might can read some of your polls and see about your work during the day and what have you. Doug, did you um, you going to leave our listeners with some thoughts on what how they can read your work? Doug, are you there with us? Tim and Catherine, can you hear me okay? I hear we you. hear you fine. Okay, well, I, 
Yeah, Doug's showing us on the line. I was going to let him tell us about his services, and I just I didn't know. I was making sure I didn't do something funny with the phone after I wasn't asking questions. Um, but, uh, yeah, we just want to thank Doug Kaplan for coming to the show tonight and sharing about polling with us. Uh, but we've just got about ten more minutes, and in that time, let's get our next topic. And we're probably going to end up talking about this topic um, a few more weeks because it's going to unfold, and, and, you know, these things could even change. But um, the legislative session started, and at the start of the session, or actually ahead of the session, they released a set of Senate maps, the Republicans did, then a set of House maps. The Democrats released a set of Senate maps. And then just on a late Thursday, the congressional maps came out. Um, so we got three new sets of maps. Uh, pretty much the big changes were all in metro Atlanta, except for the Democratic maps, the one I saw. I guess it was actually a, I should say a state house map. Um, it had a, um, a change in the Dalton area, which I thought was really interesting. But these maps came out. The Republicans, they stayed to the the part where it has to do with, um, you know, you got to create more African-American districts, but then it manipulated a lot of other districts. Not sure really they even did that on the U.S. House maps, the congressional maps, I believe, are the most controversial of the three. Um, Tim, what are your thoughts on three maps? Well, I mean, you know, let, let's dwell on, on the Republican maps because I'm, I'm sure those are the ones that are going to carry the day. Uh, and in the state house, the, the Democrats would gain two seats uh, and bring it to, what, 99 to 81, I believe. Uh, there would be five majority black districts created, as was mandated. Uh, the GOP really got creative with the state Senate maps. They They added two majority black districts. But they managed somehow to keep the 33-23 split as it is by uh, carving up some other districts, combining some, and a couple of Democrats would lose their jobs to create these two new what would be Democratic districts. Um, Now, the proposal for the House that you mentioned – it would create a new majority black district, but here they go after Lucy McBath again. It, it would mm-hmm. just pretty much rip her current district to shreds and, and and her new district if she chose to represent it, and I'm sure she would since she lives in Cobb County, I believe. Uh, her new district would be in parts of Cobb, Douglas, Fulton, and Fayette. Uh, this is the second time, you know, they've targeted her, and uh, it would uh, it would also pretty much keep things as they are. And and uh, the maps have so far been approved strictly on party line votes, and I imagine some of this, David's going to wind up back in court, but probably not in time. I don't think to affect the twenty twenty four elections they'll have to use these maps i guess at least for that election uh that they pass now what do you think yeah um yeah Catherine, go ahead i mean i don't understand why these people can't be uh 
honest and forthcoming about this. It's it's not. I mean, I know it's complicated to to do all this, but it's pretty simple to not mess with everything. Like, just do what you're do what the the court told you to do, and don't do anything else. Like, just do that, and let's move on. But they can't do it that way. And to be fair, I don't think we did it that way before. So, which is what they always say to us. So, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. David. Um. I will say this. I mean, uh, Tim's right. The big loser in all this is mostly Lucy McBath. Interestingly, if you, I saw a map that had where the House members of the current districts uh, that are in the metro Atlanta area are and the districts. And there's actually going to be two districts. The one that wraps around Cobb County, Douglas, South Fulton, and Defayette, that one has no uh, incumbent that actually lives there. And then there's another district that goes through Rockdale and Henry and Clayton and may even include a portion of DeKalb as well. It has no incumbent because Hank Johnson lives in the other DeKalb district. Um, David Scott and Nakeem Williams both live in the same, I guess, the, the fifth, the, the new fifth district as well. Um, so it, it's going to be interesting to see where they run. I will say this. I was talking to some people and was very curious about this. You know, in the past times, they've uh, gone after Sanford Bishop. While they have to keep his district um, majority-minority, it has to, but they've worked around with it a bit to where it was tougher for him. Actually, I think it looked like in this map they gave up on that. They're like, we're not going to beat Sanford Bishop. And his district got a little more Democratic, um, which for him that's good news. That's just one place um, folks aren't going to have to focus on although it does give a race outside of Metro Atlanta that people can focus on to kind of get out the vote. Um, so I guess it has a, a plus, plus and a minus each way. Um, had y'all noticed that about Sanford Bishop's district? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and another I thing think, I want to mention before go, – oh, go ahead, Tim. I, I was just going to say I think they're they're just going to be patient and wait there. That a lot of them are thinking, I believe, that this is Sanford Bishop, the person who is yeah. keeping that seat in the Democratic column. And when in the future it becomes open, it, it might be something of a different ballgame. They might be right about that. Yeah, but then are, aren't Democrats in rural areas of really all over the country, aren't they in a nadir? I mean, there's nowhere to go but up. Um, so, therefore... Um, and you can get or, prepared or just for stay that. down. <laughs> or just stay well, down. Yeah, uh, don't forget that. But yeah, but I mean, it could get, it gets a little bit better. Um, and also, you have time to groom someone because Stanford Bishop, I, I stood in line with him uh, a little under a year ago, and he seems to be in, in really good health, um, considering his age and all. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I, I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. Let me mention one last thing before we wrap up the show. The uh, state house map, it seems to put a lot of incumbents together, not only Democrats but also Republicans. And if I'm not mistaken, Democrats, even under the Republican map, gained three to four seats, depending on how you look at Misha Maynard's district, which is one of the most Democratic ones in the state, even though she switched parties to become a Republican. Uh, I'm going to so stick you don't think there's going to be that many? I, two, I, I'm going to stick with two, yeah. It may be two, and then her district makes three. Um, 
you know, so that that'll be interesting to watch. But, I mean, the Republicans basically could not figure out a way to hold the same majority um, in the House, which shows that we're just getting to be too big to round up, which is a good thing. Um, right. You know, growing the power. Well, um, thanks again for Doug Kaplan of Kaplan Strategies coming on the show. Next week, we've got Alex Diaz coming on the show. He'll talk to us about Nevada politics, but also Alex has been covering the Mexican elections, which are really interesting because even though it's still a little ways off, um, it has two nominees for the major parties that are both female, and Mexico is by default, unless something just dramatically unexpected happened will elect its first female president. So we're going to talk to Alex about both political um, you know, entities next week. But until then, with the Cousy Vine. Good night, guys. Good night, guys. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.